It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Making It Personal podcast. I am your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by some very special ladies um, from KnowledgeWorks, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves to you all and tell you a little bit about where they fall in education and how they have connected to the work of personalized learning. Thanks, Carrie. Hi, everyone. I'm Robin Kanan uh, from KnowledgeWorks, the Director of Teaching and Learning. We are uh, a nonprofit organization housed in Cincinnati. I'm coming to you live this morning with Carrie and friends from Columbus, Ohio, where I call home. And we have had the great privilege and just a really good time the last um, two to three years working with Carrie and her team um, at the um, South Carolina Department of Education in the Office of Personalized Learning. And we have been charged with the task of helping to facilitate some professional learning opportunities for y'all to make it personal in your classrooms. So good morning. So happy to be here. And good morning. My name is Brenda Neal, and I have the privilege, like Robin, of working with the Office of Personalized Learning here in South Carolina. And I, too, am coming to you from snowy Columbus, Ohio, this morning. We have had such a great time getting to know so many people in so many districts across the state through our work in launch, through our ongoing support, and through many other opportunities that we've been uh, allowed to have with this great group. So can't wait to have this conversation today about something that's near and dear to our hearts, and that is hope for our learners. Absolutely. Welcome, 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 ladies. And since you said that, Brenda, um, fun fact, as um, many of our South Carolinians know, our South Carolina motto is, while I breathe, I hope. And I thought it was very fitting to start our new year 2021 off with talking about the subject of hope. So obviously, um, 2020 was, you know, it was what it was at the end of the day. And now we're stepping into a new year and we have a new opportunity to shift our perspectives. And so let's kind of jump into it. My first question for you ladies is, why is hope important for educators to have right now? And why should we hope? So Carrie, I really appreciate that question. And, you know, I love that um, the state motto is, while I breathe, I hope. Um, I I don't know about all of you, but... uh, Whether I make it to midnight or not on New Year's Eve, I will be raising a glass of something, um, hoping that 2021 is uh, healthier and more prosperous for for all of us than 2020 may have been, right? Um, It's funny, this this concept of hope, I think, is really interesting and a little funny, strange for me. Um, I was at a point where um, not too long ago, I would hear people say, you know, I hope test scores go up for kids. I hope that youngster is able to learn. I hope what I'm doing makes a difference. Uh, we're going to hope that, uh, you know, people do the right thing. And I got a little jaded and thought to myself, you know, I don't hope it's not a strategy. You got to have some meat to hope. And then my thinking was challenged in the most profound way when Brenda and I were able to visit and then also did work in one of our um, favorite little school districts in America, RSU2, Regional School Unit 2, 
in Hallowell, Maine, of all places, really just outside of the state capital of Augusta, but uh, and, a, and a rural district, kind of five boroughs that consolidated and came together. And their school vision or purpose is all around hope, to cultivate hope in all learners. And they really taught me, um, and, and Brenda too, that hope indeed can be a strategy. Uh, it's all about how you frame it and think about it. And it's this idea that if we want to cultivate hope in all learners, we first have to kind of define what that concept of hope means. And they define it as, and I absolutely love this, believing the future will be better than the present, and I have the power to make it so. Knowing there are many paths to my goals, and not one of them is free of obstacles. Really profound and powerful. I'm going to stop there. Brenda, how about you? I absolutely agree with that, Robin. That is, that's kind of the mantra, you know, you can think in life, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a positive person. And that is a choice. It is by will that I choose that. But I have to have some of those skills embedded in me over time that enable me to see that that future can be better than today. And what's so great about education and what we're learning through the researchers on hope is that we, as educators, have the doggone power to make that happen for our kids. That is absolutely amazing. So if... If we don't do anything else in this crazy 2021 school year, we need to focus on how do we build hope into our kids? What are the things we can do that help equip them to face those obstacles that you know that you're going to have all through life? Our kids haven't lived quite as long as we all have, and we know life is filled with obstacles, but we manage to have hope in a better tomorrow, a better day. Every day is a new day. Um, but we have to find a way to help our learners get that same understanding that I can handle this. I can meet it head on and I can find a way. I totally am loving everything that you're saying right now, both of you. And kind of the synopsis of that definition you gave, I took from that, you know, hope is the ability to have like a positive expectation of good in the presence of obstacles. So, you know, as we kind of, you know, alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, 2020 had so many obstacles. And, you know, for a lot of people right now, those obstacles can become very overwhelming. So what do you think happens when we run out of hope for a better tomorrow, especially in education? Well, it's not good. <laughs> And, you know, and it's really, I mean, for me, it's around when I, when I hear the, the conversations that we're kind of having together this morning, it's totally about growth mindset, mm. right? Growth mindset is the, you know, the belief that I can be better at something, you know, tomorrow or in the future than I am right now through three things, persistence, effort, and a focus on learning. Um, learning the skills and knowledges and dispositions. And so when I think about when I think about what happens when you run out of growth mindset or you're just in a, a space where um, you can't you can't get through it, um, it's really kind of paralyzing. And it is um, you know one of my uh, one of my one of 
a person that I love to read and kind of follow is Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. And Brene Brown talks about that negative self-talk and what happens when we give into it and we allow ourselves, you know, to spiral down. Um, You dig very deep holes for yourself. And honestly, I don't think there's any place for it um, in our lives that's productive. I also don't, don't see it in what our um, our teachers and our principals and our central office folks and our educators and our parents and our kids have really done um, in the last six to eight months. I don't think there is any shortage of hope in the way we're describing it. If you look at the behaviors that people are having, mm. you know, the way that teachers every single day step up and try to innovate and reach out to kids and the systems that are in place right. to make whatever this learning environment we have found ourselves in, um, the barriers that it presents works through that. Um, so I think that's a, a really, really um, strong testament to the power of hope. Yes, Brenda, you've taught me a few things about what your brain does when you kind of run out of hope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, when you have, when, when you give in to those negative impulses, your brain is filled with cortisol and that blocks everything else, all kinds of learning, it sends you into that kind of downward spiral. And and especially in these times, for some of our learners who may not have as much support at home that as they need right now, just because of how everything is impacting family, uh, they need somebody who's positive in their life to give them that picture that, hey, tomorrow can be a better day. It We can meet it head on, we can do some things, failure does not define you. Mm. And again, that goes back exactly to what Robin said. And when we have that kind of belief, the endorphins that run through the brain give us that ability to meet every task head on and to use some of the problem solving skills that we have either learned at home or learned in school to be able to meet the task and and not to, not to give up. Uh, So yeah, the, what the brain does is so powerful. We want to keep that positive positive uh, endorphins moving forward in the brain by knowing, hey, I can do this. I might not get it yet, but I can get it by tomorrow or I can get it in a new way. So learning and trying those new paths and that positive self-talk through growth mindset, absolutely necessary to keep us moving forward. I love what you said just now in terms of just how failure doesn't define you and you guys just speaking to how powerful an educator can have that influence on their students. I'm going to kind of pivot to uh, another question that came to mind. How do you think educational leaders can help to cultivate this type of hope and this type of spirit of failing forward, as we've heard it said, amongst teachers? Well, I think celebrating small successes and paying attention to the human side of what we're going through is really very, very important. I mean, I know in in Ohio where we live and also in South Carolina where you live, people might be doing double duty. They might be designing for virtual, they might be designing for face-to-face and feel overwhelmed by all that. Leaders in education need to pay really specific attention to, how are my folks doing? 1-800, what's going on inside your life? Uh, What can I do to lift you up? Uh, And then celebrating those little successes together. So again, we have our efficacy, our agency built. We feel like, hey, I can go forward. 
And if I can't do it by myself, having a leader who says, okay, let's see, how can we do this together? How can I have you work with somebody else who, who will help get you out of this, out of the mud right now, where you might feel like you're stuck? You know, Brenda, what I, what I heard and, and Carrie to kind of respond um, to your, your question is I'm hearing that principals, leaders, really setting the culture and climate and the expectation that we will take care of each other. And it really is kind of around that social emotional learning. We do that for our kids. Um, and that's becoming more and more um, critical and really at the center. Oftentimes, you know, I've, I've heard teachers talk about how that is as if not more important than the academic content standards and skills that they're, you know, designing tasks for kids, really paying attention to and helping kids um, understand what those dispositions are. I mean, I think of our profile of a South Carolina graduate and how that really speaks to the social emotional learning and how I can begin to operationalize those in myself. Uh, in myself. And so again, what we do, what we do as the adults in the learning community really speaks and models to what we want to do for our kids. And I think one of the things that um, really underlies all of this is this idea of being transparent and explicit. I mean, let's put it out there that we're you know, that we're all, I mean, at any given moment, one of us among us, among your crews having a meltdown about something that is, you know, being thrown their way in, in um, you know, in COVID 2020. And um, we just have to be there for each other and help each other work through. And sometimes you give into it for a moment and you're like, you know, you feel defeated and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. But if you understand the, the biology of the brain, if you understand the power of that positive, um, the positive thought or the forward movement or um, that that idea of persistence and effort, and you give yourself grace. It's another thing our friends in South Carolina absolutely have taught us. Those are all part of the kind of all part of the the magic, if you will, of making hope something that is more than just a, a, a wish. Right. And what you said, Robin, is so true. It has to be purposeful. There was an article that appeared recently in Edutopia, and it talked about that if we don't do anything else in this year for our kids, we have to coach them and teach them how to maintain hope in the face of this adversity, because it's bigger than any one of us. And so that, I think that is just so powerful. How do we do that? What are some of the ways that, as educators, we can make that happen? And, and I know there are lots of lots of possibilities out there, lots of things that the research on hope has, has said are really critical pieces for it. Yes, yes. And so to, to kind of segue, um, there may be someone listening into the podcast and they, they may um, wonder, you know, okay, um, you know, I... I come here to get my fill on, you know, the personalized learning strategies. You know, what does hope have to do with personalizing student learning? Well, you are setting us up, girlfriend, setting us up. And uh, all this conversation just really kind of illustrates to me that, boy, I had a lot to learn when it came to hope, when I when I used to think it wasn't a strategy. But I want us to start thinking about, um, as Brenda said, if if, you know, if there's research out there, and there is, it's beginning to say we need to teach this to kids and kind of instill it in them. There are, there are a couple of things that make really strong connections to um, how we think about personalizing learning for our kids. And you know, through the um, Office of Personalized Learning, we have a framework that talks about 
four components <clears throat> and how they all relate to the profile of the graduate. And it really speaks about student ownership, learner profiles, learning pathways, and flexible learning environments. And a lot of the time that Brendan and I have spent in South Carolina has really been on trying to unpack those and help folks understand what that looks like, what it means, and then strategies and systems in the, in the classroom or in learning that you can design. So when we think about hope, it really begins with that ownership piece, student ownership, a la learner agency, and this idea that kids can track their own data, set their own goals, and then make decisions as they move through those personalized learning pathways that our teachers are designing where you're meeting kids at the level where they are through some pre-assessment and readiness data, and then um, leading them into tasks that will help them grow toward, um, toward your, your goals with your standards and indicators in your, um, your targeted areas. And so really thinking about starting with, for me, it starts with growth mindset and helping kids understand how your brain works and that in fact, your brain is malleable. I mean, you don't have to take a 10-week grad course to understand brain science, right? Right. There are lots and lots of resources out there for how we can teach even the littlest kiddos how the brain works. And that I, me, Robin, I can grow my brain. I may not know how to tie my shoes today, but I'm going to learn how to do it. And maybe by tomorrow or the end of the week, I can't. I mean, life is full of those kinds of examples. And yet sometimes we think, as Brenda said, oh, well, I... I didn't get those math problems right, or oh, I, it's really hard for me to to write that paragraph with a thesis statement. I can't write, or I can't dance, or I can't do math. Those kind of perpetual, those kind of statements that we've we've heard over the years just perpetuate everything that's the antithesis of hope. So I think it starts with that belief that through persistence, effort, and a focus on learning, yeah, I can learn. I can do something tomorrow, perhaps, or in the future that I can't do today. And that has a lot of alignment to this idea that hope, I can, I have what it takes to make tomorrow or the future better than the present. Uh, And I love Carrie, how you said that. I have a positive expectation of good in the present and that I can make that increase that in the future. And it's not gonna be without obstacles. And so that's those problem solving skills that we give kids. Brenda, get in on this goodness. Sure, 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 sure. So as you expand on that, uh, Robin, yes, growth mindset, but then I have to learn some of the skills and strategies that help me when I hit those obstacles. So helping kids identify their their macro goals. What do you want to be in life? What do you, And what's it going to take to get there? What are the micro goals? What do you want to have happen now? And then action steps, that the goal is not this thing you have to have done by tomorrow morning. <laughs> unless you didn't do your homework well, you know, <laughs> but it, it's, what is my goal and how can I break that into small pieces? Because kids don't come wired with that. That's a learned skill. So if we can coach it, if we can walk them through that and they break it into those action steps and begin to see how they can conquer it and celebrate. And then my gosh, what if this plan doesn't work? What are some other strategies that you could use? And if you can't think of them yourself, how can you get help? So we coach all those things in personalized learning. It, it's like you are, you're the master of, of the decisions. You're the master of the pathway. And you can do this. And we're all going to be here along the way to help you. 
And then one other one other thing that um, as we were getting ready for this conversation today, I saw that I hadn't really thought about before, but telling stories about kids who've been successful, kids at this particular age group who've been successful. Yeah, we're going to tell the stories about Albert Einstein. We're going to tell the stories about, you know, great leaders, et cetera. But what about regular people who have conquered uh, difficulties and how did they do it? Because those stories are manifestations of, hey, I had hope, I had belief, I had agency, and I was able to solve the problems as they came at me and, and was successful. So that, again, tells gives our kids this solutions-oriented thinking that we need them to have. That produces hope. Brenda, that reminds me when we used to spend a lot of our time um, as literacy coaches <clears throat> and for teachers out there, the work of Alfred Tatum, yes. T-A-T-U-M. Alfred Tatum has done a lot of work in what he calls enabling text. And Alfred Tatum talks about, um, when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, he talks a lot about how important it is for kids to see themselves in literature. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a bird walk, but it's a good point to take a quick check of what your classroom libraries look like and what the, um, what the main characters are that you're putting in front of kids look like, and can kids see themselves? So if I'm a young African-American boy, am I only reading about the white kids? Uh, that's a missed opportunity. And so we really wanna look at those enabling texts. And if you, um, if you do any uh, search engines on um, Alfred Tatum, you will, uh, he's got loads of book lists and picture books that have that um, really growth mindset theme to it, if you will, where there's kids of um, uh, all colors of the rainbow that really talk about uh, are highlighted as uh, the, the, the central character in their stories of how they overcame. And that's also important to, to put in front of kids. Oh, Robin, you just made me think of something we haven't talked about for a little bit, and that is tied to Alfred Tatum's work, the work of Dr. Chris Emden uh, out of New York. And he had a strategy where he would take one of his students who didn't maybe have the efficacy, the agency, the ownership, and he would coach that person to become a student expert. In three days, I'm going to need you to lead this part in our class. It's only going to be about 10 minutes, but here's some of the stuff you need. I, I know you can do this. My belief in you my empowering you by giving you the information, the support. I mean, we're talking personalized learning, baby. He's looking at this kid who needs to believe in himself and he's giving that opportunity and making all of the situation work so that the student will be able to feel success, even if it's the first time. But that kind of student expert within a classroom is another one of those things that helps to really build hope that I could do this. This was difficult. I thought I couldn't, but I did. Yes, I love I love all the connections that you guys even made from hope to personalized learning to the South Carolina framework for personalized learning. And one thing that stood out to me again, you mentioned this earlier, which was um, the notion of transparency for students. Because, you know, I just thought back to, you know, just my experience in the classroom and just seeing students who were hopeless because the learning environment was not transparent. 
So they didn't really know what it was that they were learning. All they knew was that they were failing. They didn't know what their goals were. And so they couldn't aspire to be greater than what they were presently. So just, you know, you guys talking about how um, students being able to take ownership and have agency and be able to, you know, know and track their data and set their goals, not, you know, us not using like a data notebook as just like a check that's done, but intentionally and with purpose can really hope to cultivate that hope for students. Oh, Carrie, you are spot on about that. And we've had, we've had the great opportunity of actually visiting classrooms in South Carolina with uh, a lot of our, a lot of our friends down there that we've made all through, through your connections. And we have seen classrooms that have a culture where the focus is not on the final product. It's not at the end game where the focus is really on the process of learning and learning is messy. Mm -hmm. And in any one time, you know, the three of us on this podcast could be at different levels. You know, Carrie, you could be rocking it out of the park. Brenda, you could be moving along steady and, you know, and I could be like in the corner and throw a blanket (laughs) over me. I totally had a meltdown. I can't get, I can't get through it. But all of that is expected, planned for, and actually celebrated because it's part of the learning process. Mm. And so this idea that we only put up and showcase the best work, the exemplar work, you know, the kids that got the 100% or whatever it is, uh, and guilty I did that, is really wrong-minded because learning is a journey. And at any given time, we're at multiple places. And so the transparency of that Classrooms where they recognize that, they celebrate that, have seen kids own that. And then what happens is you're also building back to that social emotional learning, you're building empathy. So Carrie takes some time and comes over and you know checks on Robin in the corner, right? right Which right. is a, an overdramatization, right. but you get what I'm saying here. It becomes it becomes a culture of we're in this together, we're helping each other because you know what, today it's you and tomorrow it might be me, depending on what the actual content is. So it's just, it's when you see kids embrace it because the teacher has been purposeful and intentional in making that part and partial of the, of the climate is fantastic. And what I love is it doesn't all fall on the teacher's shoulders. He or she, like John Spencer would tell us through empower are empowering their learners instead of making decisions for my kids that they could make for themselves. I'm setting up those opportunities stepping back, even though it's tough sometimes, and letting it play out um, so that the kids begin to develop that that ownership, which is all about hope. Yes, yes. Now, you guys have been dropping gems the entire conversation, (laughs) I feel like. So many good nuggets of wisdom that I'm sure our listeners can use in their classrooms. But for the educators who are kind of like, okay, I hear you. I have hope. I want to cultivate hope in my students. I just don't know where to start. What are some subtle shifts that educators can make towards infusing hope um, and a more student-centered learning environment in their classrooms for this new year? So, Brenda, why don't you start the list? And if you're if you're listening, you know, get your tablets ready or your pencils and papers <laughs> ready because we'll, we'll, we'll talk about just a couple. Well, all right. Uh, what I what I think would help right now. Uh, ways to provide that voice and choice that that grow learner agency, like through a genius hour or a passion project. Our kids are spending so much time in many places uh, online uh, and 
or and or and it's probably not happening in South Carolina, but it's happening with my granddaughters doing worksheet packets. Dear God, we're way beyond that. So let's figure out how can you dig into something you really want to learn and figure out how am I going to approach it? So PBL or Genius Hour will also give kids multiple perspectives about issues and problems that they might be investigating. And it will help with that autonomy and the motivation moving forward. That's one. Okay. Uh, a second one. And we've seen this work for high school kids or, you know, third and fourth graders. So again, it's, it's content agnostic and it's K-12. Um, depending on where your kids are on, uh, in the process of learning. But it's this idea of learning planners, <clears throat> excuse me, where the kids actually, um, and it's more than just a checklist of tasks that I have to do. It really is about, um, it kind of starts with where am I going, what that goal is, what are my action steps? And then it's almost as if we're asking kids now, okay, what's your strategy for working through this material? What's your strategy for learning it? Um, sure, it talks about what do you need to do, but it's getting kids <laughs> to own that part of the process. Too often, we tell them what the problem is, here's the solution, here's all the materials you need, and then do this first, and this second, and this third, and this fourth. And I get it. Sometimes that's where your kids are, and that's where you have to start. But that's not where you stay if you're going to ever build ownership learner-centered, driven by the kids. We shortchange our kids. And I've heard teachers say this again and again and again. My gosh, I stepped back and they like blew the roof off this assignment with how they took it. To, it was better than anything I could have imagined. Right. Yes. That, that, like that never, uh, I hear that all the time. And it's so true because we have given up some of that control and or We've put some of the things that we normally handle and control in their column. I'm going to, because I'm going to expect that you're going to do this. And, you know, if I've got 30 kids, okay, I'm going to have ranges of kids that are able to be more responsible, um, uh, you know, from, from time to time. And so gradual release, and I put the supports in where we need to. Um, but I think the idea of a learning planner um, is a um, is a is a great way to help kids figure out. I'm not going to tell you how you need to move through this work. I need you know. Let's talk about it together and come up with your plan. I think tied right in with that, Robin, is really clear view of what success would look like. Carrie, you mentioned transparency. Yeah, here's the learning. Here's the learning that you have to do. What does it look like if you are successful? So you can start to measure yourself as you're in that learning plan. Am I getting everything I need? Can I do it at this level? And if not, what I, the learner, have to go and make some decisions or get some help to be able to get to that, to that particular standard the way that it's been described. But it has to be transparent. It can't be just in the teacher's pocket. That, that reminds me of, a, of another strategy that's really all about transparency. And it's a, if you're just getting started and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you guys, mm -hmm. this is great. But it's like, I, I don't need one more thing I have to do or think about. Well, let's, let's think about one of the easiest, we kind of call it low hanging fruit, right? The apple kind of drops in your lap as you're walking by the tree. Standard operating procedures, SOPs, develop those with your kids, i.e. Um, procedural stuff. 
uh, and, and again, I know it's, you know, the year's underway, but you may have kids after the first of the year coming back in class that maybe haven't been there all year. Okay. How do you, how do you set up your room with those classroom norms and guidelines and procedures? What if we, as a class, um, you know, you can, you can certainly populate the list and then you get the kids to own that, you know, how do they line up and go out to recess? How do we treat each other? Uh, what's the procedure if I get stuck on a problem? It shouldn't be, I run up to you and, you know, tug on your arm and uh, uh, ask you for the answer. That we, We're trying to arm kids with strategies to help themselves. And so a lot of teachers start with standard operating procedures and they're real transparent and they're, um, you know, they're um, uh, appropriate for, for what the need is at the moment. The ones I had at the beginning of the year, I probably still don't have hanging in my classroom or displayed now because the kids have internalized those. You've got them on your on, for your distance and your virtual learning. You've, kids know how to log in and what the expectation is and how to uh, submit the assignment to the Canvas or your Google Hangout or however you're doing that. And so think intentionally about that and think about it as a way to help kids begin to be independent without you. That's part of the ownership and agency piece. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, ladies, we will take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Got a personalized learning story to share? Got a highlight to show? Are you making it personal in your context? If that's the case, we want to hear from you. Be sure to reach out to the Office of Personalized Learning to be featured on future episodes of the Making It Personal podcast. We can't wait to showcase you and the great work you're doing in the great state of South Carolina to personalized learning for all students. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Now, back to the show. All right. Well, we are back with our guests, Robin and Brenda, and we're just in time for our special segment that I like to call making it or breaking it. So, ladies, um, you can either choose to share a make, which would be something cool that you've seen in the world of personalized learning, or you can share a break, which could be a barrier, a concern that you've encountered on your personalized learning journey, or something that needs to break, that we need to give a break to in order to give student-centered learning a chance for students. So, which will it be, make or break? Well, I'll jump in with a make, if that's okay. Okay. And it's really, it's really kind of tied to what we were talking about right before the, the little break here. Um, how do you get started? I saw a teacher in a fifth grade science class start a unit about the bottom of the ocean. And she showed some visuals. You know, there was a little bit of setting the stage for kids. But then she opened it up and said, I want to capture, what are your questions? What do you want to know about this? What in the heck does it make you think about? And as the students started giving all those questions, and she's writing them furiously on large post-it paper, they got so excited about that learning, and she capitalized on it. She said, now, pick one of these, and that's your investigation. And you will create the learning that happens for this unit. We have all these resources, blah, 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 blah. But it was everything we just talked about earlier about how we begin to instill hope in kids by giving them opportunity to be independent 
learners and show I can do this. I even came up with a question. So that was, it was, it was so good. And I saw hope in kids who really didn't, didn't love science, but suddenly it was something that they were going to be able to manage. I think I have a make as well. Um, I've seen some uh, classrooms where the teacher has decided, actually the whole grade level has decided, and it then has permeated throughout the school, where they're going to make the learning process transparent. And so they have the, they've made the pathways um, public, if you will. So there's a a display, a wall, a board, something in the room. And there are um, the, uh, where the unit is happening, there might be the indicators or the standards that are inside that, what kids should only be able to do. And kids are tracking their progress publicly. And it does, it, it, at first, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. And the other thing, but but there also is like, well, why would, you, why would you risk it? Because I've got some kids that might be on IEPs or might have really challenges. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to risk, uh, you know, uh, impacting them negatively. It's all part of the culture of your classroom. And what we all, we, we believe that we're in it together. And what happens is with a sticker or a clip or a, um, uh, some kind of, you know, m- marker, the kids kind of track where they are at that moment in time. And the expectation is that, yes, I'm tracking myself, but I'm also looking to see where my, um, where my friends are. And if someone isn't as far as I am, there is a procedure, a protocol, a standard operating procedure for how I can go over and do some peer support with that youngster. And what we've seen is kids that may never have had a chance to be elevated, uplifted, seen as a leader in their class with a voice, Hmm. get to help someone else um, who may be having a struggle or is kind of slowing down on the job. Um, You talk about building hope and self-esteem and growth mindset it was fantastic to see, um, and, and, and I love that. The other thing that this teacher did that I think oftentimes we run out of time to do with kids is that when the learning process in that particular unit or set of, set of lessons is complete, she does a reflection with the kids, and in particular, Besides focusing on what did you do to get it all happen? Okay, where where was the trouble? Where was that? Where was that? You know that that stumble that you had. You have mm-hmm. to unpack mistakes because there's power in that. We learn when we trip, right? Um, uh, learn how to do it better. Learn how to improve, and that's where you build that persistence and effort. And I can do this. And so talking with folks about. Uh, with our kids about what went wrong and what are we going to do differently the next time is also um, a powerful tool. And you don't need a 10-week graduate course in instructional strategies to do that with your kids. You can do that, you know, tomorrow or as soon as you get back from, um, uh, you know, the weekend or whatever that may be. So again, transparency um, and some strategies to, to make that come to life. 
Well, thank you, ladies, so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that we can get you on the podcast sometime soon in the future. So my very last question for all of our listeners is, how might they be able to reach you or get in touch with you or follow you um, along your journey and kind of glean more um, from you? So I would say the easiest way is to follow um, our personalized uh, SC community. Uh, that we have out there. And Brenda and I are um, have been embraced and welcomed uh, it, with only Southern hospitality, the way it plays out in South Carolina as just uh, two gals that are just part of the part of the crew down there. And we love it. So um, you can uh, have access to us um, through our uh, emails, uh, which we can provide, reach out to Carrie. Uh, and uh, and her team, and we're we are always happy not only to provide you with strategies, but my gosh, to hear your stories and for you to share with us what's happening in your classrooms. That's how we learn, and that's how we stay authentic in the space as well. Brenda, absolutely. Uh, email personalize SC. Uh, join us on launch. You know, sign up for launch with some partners and get on in there and see some of the work that we're doing with other colleagues of yours in South Carolina. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, ladies. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!